0: Last year, the Pentagon's experimental research agency popped up on YouTube with an intriguing live stream.
1: I can't wait for
2: this
0: fight. We've talked long enough. As an excited commentator watched, a human pilot, known only as Banger, took on an AI-powered adversary in a simulated one-on-one air battle.
1: It's the main event, Alpha Dogfight Trials. Banger, I'm going to turn it over to you. Human vs. AI fights on.
0: The planes wove and ducked on the screen. The computer, built by Heron Systems, dominated from the start.
2: Another quick kill by uh, Heron, uh, four nothing.
0: Banger gave it everything
1: he had. The standard things that we do as fighter pilots are not working, right? So for this lesson, I'll try to change it up a little bit um, just to see if we can do something different.
0: But to no avail.
1: Looks
2: like he's uh, Heron's saddling up and with the kill. And again, more of just that
3: superhuman aiming ability. that to...
0: Banger lost all five dogfights live on the internet. A humbling moment for a fighter pilot who had volunteered
4: for an unpopular task. We really was a patriot, I would say, in being willing to uh, play this role. Because you can imagine, we searched long and hard to find somebody who would be willing to do it. This is Colonel Daniel Javorsek,
0: better known as Animal He ran the competition to find an AI system that could beat a pilot and had the job of recruiting the human adversary.
4: At the bar, plenty of volunteers uh, actually show up with the cameras on and go, hey, you're in the hot seat. Uh, Not so much.
0: So Animal's story is he's a fighter pilot. With a physics
4: PhD, he came ready to shake things up. Most of us that that we get to this point in our careers, we have a, a lot of Uh, history of watching, I would say, different technologies uh, evolve. Um, Some of them evolve well, and and we like to watch the things that, that, uh, say, uh, we make progress on uh, at the right pace, where we co-evolve the tactics and technology with it. At other times, I would say we um, notice problems.
0: He thought the military's software wasn't moving fast enough.
4: It was very clear that the technology was out in front of the tactics and it was out in front of the culture.
0: So he pushed for a competition where companies vied to build an AI system to go head-to-head with a human pilot and eventually win.
4: Those AI agents had had effectively flown 30-something years' worth of continuous dogfighting time.
0: It's not just fighter jets. The U.S. military is pushing to have AI make many weapons and processes faster and more powerful. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin referred to the tech push in a speech last month.
3: Now, integrated deterrence means using every military and non-military tool in our toolbox in lockstep with our allies and partners. Integrated deterrence is about using existing capabilities and and building new ones, and deploying them all in new and networked ways, all tailored to a region's security landscape, and growing in partnership with our friends. And so together, we're aiming to coordinate better, to network tighter, and to innovate faster.
0: But some fear, even as the Pentagon accelerates, it's not moving as fast as its rival. China. Earlier this year, an American government commission on AI released an urgently worded report. It said China is an AI peer in many areas, and in some ways it has the edge on the US, and that America, quote, must win the AI competition. Is America's technological military supremacy looking fragile? Could its live-streamed AI capabilities be an elaborate game of catch-up? You're listening to Tectonic. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times and your host for the series. This season, we've been asking whether the potential of AI outweighs its risks. Today, as competition between two military powers heats up, could artificial intelligence be the springboard China uses to leapfrog the US? And regardless of whose side they're on, how afraid should we
1: be of lethal autonomous weapons? You know, if I think back to when I first started covering the Pentagon in the during the Bush administration in the mid-2000s, every year the Americans put out a China military report, and every year they said in that report that they had underestimated how much progress China had made in developing its military.
0: Dmitry Sevastopolou is the FT's U.S.-China correspondent, who was previously Pentagon correspondent and our Asia News editor in Hong Kong.
1: China has been investing massively in the AI area. Uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping has made it a clear priority, and I think that's been uh, made clear to the Chinese military and other parts of their defence and industrial complex.
0: Dimitri, so how is China using AI in the military sphere?
1: Well, we we don't know many things that they're doing because it's very difficult to say if there's AI inside a fighter jet or a Navy ship, for instance. One person I spoke to uh, is Bob Work, and he's the former Deputy Defense Secretary who was also the vice chair of the U.S. National Security Commission on AI.
3: Well, unlike in the Cold War where our satellites would fly over the Soviet Union, we could count the number of missile silos in the ground and we'd say, "Okay, we know how many missiles that the Soviet Union has. There is going to be a lot of technological surprise because you can't just look at a, a Chinese ship and say, hey, what in that ship is being operated with an AI system?
1: But some of the things we have seen are reports that, for example, there's a Chinese company that sold a helicopter drone uh, called Blowfish, which sounds like it comes out of a James Bond film, to some Middle Eastern countries uh, and claiming that it has autonomous capabilities. Um, There's been also reports in the Chinese media about unmanned submarines that use machine learning. So there's lots of examples out there, but ultimately... Uh, there's many things that the, the Pentagon doesn't know about China and the China doesn't know about the US military in this area. So do you think China could actually be ahead of the US
0: in terms of AI weapons development?
1: Well, when you talk to experts in the U.S., they say that if you look at the different components of AI, there are areas where uh, China is ahead and there are areas where the U.S. still has a lead. So, for example, one of the things that Bob Work said was that the U.S. was ahead in terms of its ability to develop sophisticated algorithms.
3: U.S. firms and universities still attract the top AI talent in the world. Many are foreign and they do not have a path to U.S. citizenship. So we assess there if the U.S. doesn't get its immigration house in order and really welcome this talent, uh, then we could lose that lead.
1: And also a better supply chain for the the hardware needed to make some of these technologies. Uh, But he said China's ahead in other areas.
3: We assess that the Chinese were ahead in data because they don't care where the data comes from and they don't care whether it violates personal privacy or anything like that.
1: So that's a big advantage. China has also uh, applied AI in ways that the U.S. wouldn't be able to and wouldn't want to do. For example, in the northwestern region of Xinjiang, where where China has very successfully uh, implemented a kind of surveillance state that uses facial recognition technology to, to monitor the Uyghur Muslims who live in that part of China. So there are things that China can do to try and test its AI capabilities that would be more difficult to do in the U.S. from an ethical standpoint.
3: We concluded, hey, we're in this AI-charged technology competition. It fuses economic competitiveness, great power rivalry. And in the end, it is a contest between authoritarian and democratic values.
0: The U.S. has certainly focused a lot on the kind of potential for digital authoritarianism in China. And this wouldn't be the first time that the Pentagon has framed a contest in terms of kind of good versus evil. How justified do you think it is this time?
1: Well, there are kind of echoes of the Cold War, and everyone will have heard Joe Biden talk about the battle between the US and China more broadly. China has an overall goal, and I don't criticize them for the goal, but they have an overall goal to become the leading country in the world, the wealthiest country in the world, and the most powerful country in the world. That's not going to happen on my watch almost an existential contest between democracies and authoritarian regimes with China being, uh, in his words, an authoritarian regime. So they are definitely framing um, the battle in that context. But I think if you look at what China has done in Xinjiang, for example, it shows you the power of some of these AI technologies and how they can be used in ways to uh, to chip away or eviscerate people's freedoms so the real concern the us would have is whether china can take some of those technologies facial recognition and others uh, for example using healthcare data about people to see if you could develop you know bioweapons that would be uh, tailored to you know inflict harm on a certain kind of uh, human being or a certain race so when you think about the issue of AI and ethics and the question as to whether America's at a disadvantage because if there are certain things it won't do that China will have uh, no problem doing. Uh, an interesting person I talked to was Elsa Kania, who is an expert on China and AI at the Center for New American Security, which is a think tank in Washington. And she says that the ethics of privacy uh, are discussed in China, but in a very different way from in the US.
5: There is a complexity to these debates in China where there is an emerging regime for privacy and the governance of personal information within China that uh, arguably has impacted China's tech sector more than we've seen the U.S. tech sector uh, influenced by concerns about privacy here to some extent and I mean, the, the PLA has studied and debated and organized workshops or seminars around questions of what does AI mean for the law of armed conflict and uh, Some international humanitarian law. There are ethicists in China who think deeply about what AI may bring in the future. I think there are reasons to doubt that the CCP or PLA leadership would be uh, excessively constrained by these considerations, but from their perspective, the US military has not always been consistent or wholly in adherence to its own ethical and moral concerns.
1: So one of the things that Elsa says is that there's a debate about you know, to what extent the US should uh, sacrifice some of its values to make sure that it doesn't lose the AI race to China. I think although there is a debate about this, there are a lot of voices in America that say um, the US has to be very careful not to do some of the things that China's doing and needs to find ways uh, to get around that and actually develop AI in an ethical way uh, that will be accepted by the American population. Um.
4: Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO, Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.
0: In in this democracy. So stepping back a bit, Dimitri, is there any break on this autonomous weapons development? This great power competition that seems to be developing between the US and China seems almost completely divorced from other discussions about whether it's safe or advisable to be building AI systems into weapons or militaries at all.
1: Well, I don't actually think that there's a huge break on the development. There is groups around the world, activists, who are very vociferously arguing that you should have bans on some of these weapons or at least you should have some kind of regulation to make sure that they don't uh, get used in inappropriate ways. Uh, One of those is the Stop Killer Robots campaign.
2: Our main concern is protecting civilians. This is the the underlying reason for doing this. And we're convinced that if fully autonomous weapons, killer robots were to come into existence, that it would erode the protection for civilians that have built up over the years. We think that killer robots would cross a fundamental moral line. You should always have humans involved in the life and death decisions that are made on the battlefield.
1: Some of the activists who support that campaign are calling for an international treaty uh, regulating these kinds of weapons. But I think, frankly, that's going to be very hard to achieve because getting any kind of international treaty uh, on arms control is just very, very difficult. So when I talked to Kanya, she said that she didn't think a ban was feasible at all.
5: I think as someone who looks at the, or tries to look at the Chinese military's outlook on these issues, there's often a level of technological determinism. That the notion that once a technology has been developed, it is inevitable that it will be used on the battlefield. I think it is evident that militaries worldwide regard AI as An important technology, and certainly none of the major militaries that are driving these developments have espoused any genuine willingness to accept a ban.
0: What about within the military itself? Is there skepticism about autonomous jets and armed drones and so on?
1: So, for example, when I talked to Animal, who's the experimental test fighter pilot who ran the human versus AI fighter jet competition sponsored by DARPA, one of the things that he had to grapple with is how do you get fighter pilots who are very confident, very macho to overcome distrust about the technology. I mean, partly they think that they're better than the machines and they don't believe the machines uh, can do things that they can do. So that's something that is true across the military, uh, not just in this uh, Alpha Dogfight program, but when it comes to the development of other kind of autonomous weapons as well. Uh, One of the things that Animal talked to us about was there's a story in American folk history about John Henry.
4: Uh, if you're familiar with the John Henry story, uh, basically was a steel-driving man um, that uh, the steam engine was essentially threatening. So, in the in the folk story, he gets he gets uh, into a competition with this steel-driving um, hammer, jackhammer that is kind of hammering through mountain rock, and they're trying to hammer a tunnel. It ends up being a race against man versus machine. Uh, at the end of the race, uh, John Henry wins, but it ends up the effort ends up costing him his life. And that's kind of the the moral of, of the story is, you know, the, the scary aspect of there's this new thing called a steam engine. It's going to disrupt your jobs. It's going to take away your jobs.
1: And Animal said that the pilots that he was trying to convince uh, about this new AI technology for the fighter jets were, they were a bit like John Henry. They were suspicious of the technology.
0: Do we know anything about what China's perspective is on what they're building and why?
1: It's clear that the Chinese government has made this a huge priority. And Xi Jinping himself, the Chinese president, uh, addressed it publicly in a speech in 2017 when he called on the military to uh, put a lot of effort into developing different kinds of AI technologies. You know, quite recently, we've seen reports in China that they've actually conducted their own alpha dogfight competitions. So replicating some of the things that Animal and his team were trying to do. At the same time that there are concerns both in the US and China about what each other's militaries are doing in terms of AI, there are also uh, experts who are warning that because AI is uh, such a kind of technology that can make war more precise and more cruel, um, that it's going to be very important for um, weapons capabilities and arms control to be addressed in a kind of a multilateral uh, fashion. Um, one person who talks about this is uh, Professor Zhu Chao, who is an expert at the National University of Defence Technology. And speaking recently at an event run by a think tank called IISS, he said that it would be more and more difficult for any one country to pursue security um, by themselves.
0: It is no other way but cooperation between sovereign states to encounter the challenges. Big powers and technological advanced countries should take on more responsibilities to discuss and assess the common challenges in the media and the long run for our shared community. The technological advanced countries should contribute more with air technology to fight against the terrorism, transnational crime, disaster early warning, and uh, humanitarian assistance missions. That's very interesting what he's saying, but it doesn't sound quite as hawkish as some of the other commentators in this field. Is it a surprising tone do you think?
1: Well John, I don't think it's a complete surprise and the reason I say that is in the, in the course of uh, reporting AI I discovered that while there is a lot of, you know, heightened rhetoric and concern coming from both US and China, there are also dozens of former officials, former military officials and AI experts from both the US and China, who've been having kind of informal back-channel conversations that in the diplomatic world are known as track two talks.
0: And what did they talk about specifically?
1: Well, so one of the things they're trying to do is allay concerns that the other side might have about what each of them is doing. One of the people who's involved in some of these track two talks is David Edelman, who is a former White House official in the Obama administration and now an expert at MIT who works on AI and public policy. You know, he talked about the the blowfish, the armed helicopter drone uh, that the Chinese are reportedly developing, and some of the US experts wanted to know what that was exactly.
2: And the concern was, are you really building these? Are, is this really part of your plan? What sort of safeguards would exist If you were to build them, where would you deploy them? Would they go right in the South China Sea, one of the most significant flashpoints in the world right now? Those are the kinds of myth-busting conversations that are actually quite significant.
1: From the Chinese side, a really interesting example was there was a case recently where an Iranian nuclear scientist was assassinated by uh, an automatic uh, weapon. And one of the concerns uh, about that was whether the... uh, weapon was powered by AI and, and and the weapon had used facial recognition technology to identify this Iranian scientist in the middle of a city and then automatically fired when it detected him um, and the Chinese were you know really intrigued to know if that's what had happened. Now there isn't actually a lot of evidence to suggest that that is what happened but it's an example of how These modern technologies uh, can convey fears and people can kind of assume that something is being powered by artificial intelligence because they don't know what really happened.
2: There actually is an opportunity, albeit maybe a fleeting one, to try to build up a better sense of what one another are up to and try to head down a path of a little bit more stability than we would otherwise see. Uh, That, amidst the mood music of the current U.S.-China relationship, was surprising optimism and to me left surprising room for manoeuvre for the longer term of discussions like these and potentially even between both governments, if ultimately we can do that on the basis of mutual interest.
1: So we're safe for a few more years. That's the good news.
0: Maybe a few more months. So even as both powers and other nations too rush to embed artificial intelligence into their militaries, it seems they want to avoid the dangers of a runaway AI arms race. Supremacy in this technology would drastically change the balance of global power. But fears about a military situation spiralling out of control are prompting officials to slow down and try to come up with new norms and rules, even if informally, backstage. And that seems like an appropriate note on which to end the series. In science, healthcare, finance we've seen the huge possibilities for AI to help humans do things smarter, faster and cheaper. In the first episode, we talked about the potential of the new AlphaFold technology to figure out how proteins are folded, a laborious process formerly undertaken by scientists in labs for each individual protein. As we made this fifth episode, news broke that AlphaFold had predicted the structure of 20,000 human proteins an advance that stunned biologists and could catalyse medical science. And although we've also heard the concerns over mass surveillance, biased decision-making systems, and energy consumption, I am struck by the efforts governments, societies and activists are making to direct the tech so that it works ultimately for us and the planet. If human intelligence is up to the task, we can use artificial intelligence to change the world for the better. You've been listening to Tectonic from the Financial Times in London with me, John Thornhill. Our reporter for this episode was Dimitri Sevastopoulou. Alice Fordham is our senior producer, Josh Gabbett Doyan, our assistant producer, Oluwakemi Aladasui, and Liam Nolan, our development producers. Sound design and mixing were by Breen Turner. Sherry fei contributed research from Beijing. And Cheryl Brumley is the executive producer for this series. Original scoring was composed by Metaphor Music. Thanks for listening.